0: You have, those, you have Lind, those Lindor chocolates, a big bowl of those, too, that I now know are there. <laughs> okay, let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, we're grateful for today. Thank you, Lord, even as we were worried about the weather and activities outside and so forth. We just thank you for helping there. Be with us, we pray, in our meeting this evening, and help us learn of your, your word and the thoughts of your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this is our um, last Wednesday night for the summer, um, and trying to figure out what to do for the last lesson, knowing I'd have to leave some things undone, um, I I really felt kind of prompted to move in a one particular direction, which really is a foundation for all Christian ethics. And Specifically, the, hopefully, the issue we can look at to some degree tonight is the whole business of self-love. Now, we're supposed to, we know we're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love our neighbor and so forth. But a fundamental ought, command, is that we're to love ourselves. We can misunderstand that because we know that um, one of the best definitions of sin, meaning and specifically the sinful nature and the results of that is excessive love of self. So the quandary is how do we avoid the pitfall Of excessive improper love of self while properly loving ourselves we we can't throw out just because there's we're all familiar with improper love excessive love of self we can't let that blot out the notion that we can properly love ourselves now um, I want you to define some things here. See if you can. And remember this. There's no, well, maybe I shouldn't go I was going to say there's no stupid uh, answer. But there might be. <laughs> um, what is, how would you define God's love? First of all. Pardon me? Yeah, but that <laughs> um, that's not a stupid answer, but it's, um, it's incomplete, I guess you'd say. Um, what is, well, just maybe a description rather than a definition. Of God's love toward us. Yeah? While we were yet sinners, He died for us. Okay, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. What is that telling us? If we dive into that verse a little more, what does it say? One huge thing it tells us is that God's love does not depend on the lovability, if you want to use that term, of the object loved. Now, sinful or let's say human non-godly love loves based on whether the person is lovable. Um, If they have, you know, if they're difficult people to deal with, if they are a hundred things that would be off-putting to us, then the general... Uh, behavior is avoid them, mistreat them, have nothing to do with them, cut them off um, because they're not lovable. Well we all know where we'd be if God had had that kind of love. But God's love is not dependent on the object that's loved. That's a major uh, and remember His love is our pattern and so our love has got to approximate the same way God loves. Other thoughts on God's love to us? Anybody? Well, same thought, but my word was unconditioned. Pardon me? Unconditional. Unconditional love? <laughs> well, well, um, Claire Brooks is, she's she's maybe okay, maybe gonna make it, but she's teetering right on the edge of, you know, some kind of rank heresy, but not really. Um, God's love is unconditional, to a certain extent. the 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 extent is part of that very um, statement, or that verse scripture that His love. Um, was shown towards us while we were yet sinners. okay? Um, God's love is totally unconditional in providing salvation, dying for us. Um, but it is not unconditional when it comes to uh, redemption. He offers redemption freely to everyone and gives us the grace to respond back to Him in order to be saved. Okay? That's all unconditional. But if I refuse to believe, even with the help of His enablement to me to believe, I don't go to heaven. Unconditional love stops there. But isn't that still love? It's love that he provides the sacrifice, that he provides the call, the nudging, the strength and ability for us to even respond. There's a massive amount of unconditional, prevenient grace is unconditional. It's to everybody. But it's all, let's put it this way, all of that, is rejectable because I have a free will. So I can end up in hell over everything God tried to do to draw me to himself. The only place, and I'm, you're not that much heretic at all, um, the only place that we can get into a false sense of God's unconditional love is especially regarding Christians. Who don't follow God, professing Christians who don't follow God. Well, his love's unconditional. It's basically, it is in some ways, when you carry it out that far, um, it becomes a part of the Calvinistic notion of um, unconditional eternal security. Doesn't matter what you do, well, God's love's unconditional. No, it isn't. Um, I can walk away. But even then, I've got to take on the unbelievable effort to push God away. And I have to do it repeatedly because He doesn't quit. So, um, His love, so you're correct, His love is unconditional. It doesn't depend on the object, uh, object Goodness or lovability of the object that he loves. Yeah. So I have a question though. Does God, I would assume, still people, like going with the unconditional? Um, When someone goes to hell, do you think that God still loves them and is grieving that they went to hell and he's not going to pull them out because of it? But so I. Because I, I was thinking the same thing unconditional. Yeah it and, yeah i i don't think you know that there's any hint in scripture that would help us there other than everything everything we do find in scripture regarding judgment day the sentence passed on people. As I think off the top of my head, there's no case where there isn't mention of retribution, anger, you know, wrath. I was talking to somebody today. um, You know, the scripture says uh, God's wrath will come up in his face and he will rise it says off of his throne and shake terribly the earth the every picture of of judgment and post-judgment is of deserved wrath condemnation judgment well like Paul talked about, um, angels said fiery, um, Christ and the angels returning to earth, taking a flaming vengeance on those who do not believe. So they're given what they have rejected on the part of God, there's deserved and a very apparent Prophecy that there will be uh, terrible wrath. But what what God's own heart, he's not willing that any perish, which is why he tarries so long as it is, you know. Um, but we're only speculating. But that's that's a good question. By the way, kind of aligned with that, I think that we get a hint regarding people who are in heaven, who have acquaintances or even loved ones that are in hell. I don't believe that they have any memory of that, nor have they any sight of that. Or I don't know how God could, quote, wipe away all tears, no sorrow, uh, no crying, and so forth. it was very clear that the rich man was totally aware of Lazarus enjoying the bliss of heaven but Lazarus is absolutely not remotely shown as having any awareness of the rich man in hell now Abraham in that parable who represents God carried on a conversation with the rich man and obviously had you know God knows all things so he has to know Everybody that is in hell. I mean, he knows that. Um, but I think the justice of God, that that is overly deserved is probably, maybe, what goes on in God's mind. But that's an interesting question. Now, a. Um, I think one definition that we could use of God's love toward us, it's His desire to possess all of us that He might impart to us Himself and all good, which has to do with eternity, blessing now, and so forth. But it, God is in the proper sense. He wants to possess us so that he can impart his own spirit, his own life to live in our hearts and do us good. But he can't do it unless he owns us. He does it in a measure in the unconditional love of prevenient grace and so forth, providing dying for us when we were yet unlovely. But... Um, he. The blessings of God are only known uh, in their fullness to those who God owns at their permission. Does that make sense? Now, any, any other thoughts, questions? I understood it better when I, I kind of reconciled God's perfect love also with his perfect justice. Yeah. Because you go too far either way and yeah. you get way off. Into yeah. Yeah. Another way, very, it's basically saying the same thing, is that God's nature, and this is splitting hairs, but it's not really splitting hairs, God's nature, and then his attributes are not the same. His attributes are, he's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and so forth. His nature is who he is, not his, as it were, qualities. His nature is holy love and in that logical order. He is holy and holiness is justice, righteousness, truth, faithfulness. Love is grace, um, forgiveness, salvation. um, And the the two balance each other. And you're right. uh, it's really important that we be balanced with who God is and our problem A is we're fallen our minds aren't, can't grasp all that but second um, we see God in different settings you know every one of us who've if we have let's just say we've spent enough time to know right from wrong and Truth from error, um, that we're we're responsible for choices we make. <clears throat> when we experience conviction from the Lord and our conscience is eating at us, we're seeing a side of the Lord that may not seem quite as loving because he's um, well David. One of the Psalms, I think it's 32, anyway. He said, um, my sin was ever before me. And he said, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. The King James says, my moisture's turned into the drought of summer. My life juices, as it were. I'm dried. I'm a dried out mess. Well, he was no, I'm sure he was not thinking, the just overflowing, heartwarming love of God. No, he was he was getting beat on the head and he deserved it. It's a reference, partially, to the Bathsheba stunt. Um, and so we see it's the same God, but he responds to us according to our response to him. And so what side, as it were, or a balance of his nature we see is is going to vary and so we can't determine god's we can't form a picture of what god's like off off of just a couple of isolated um contacts with him uh it we have to balance it that that's a that's a good thought um anything else that's the love of god um define our um what's the definition of our proper love of god okay it is observable by um we jesus said if you love me you keep my commandments so professed love cannot be separated from obedience that, that's another major issue. It can't be separated from obedience. It, uh, loving God and disobeying Him, failing to obey His commandments, is mutually exclusive. You, you, they, you can't do one at the same, same time. When you look at Judgment Day, Jesus at the close of the Sermon on the Mount said, to those who proclaim we did lots of good things for you and we did them in your name. He said, I never knew you or approved of you. For those he, only, he said, those will enter into heaven who do not believe, do the will of my Father who's in heaven. That's obedience. So it's just absolutely impossible to separate those two. Love for others. What's the definition, um, a definition of our love for others? Anybody? I know you know. What? When you do something for somebody without expecting it to be reciprocated. All right. That's... um, that is one of, he said, Jesus said, invite people to your house for dinner who you know can't have you over to their house next week. It, meaning, yeah, you're not looking for, uh, because that's self-centered even when I'm doing a good act to someone else. It's really to benefit me. Okay. Other, yeah. Uh, verse, uh, anyone who uh, doesn't love their brother who they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. Okay. First John. He that says, too, he says, he that says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. So God links love for him from us with love for others. There again is the obedience thing. Um, maybe in any, any more definitions? that's the challenge second commandment first commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, strength your neighbor as yourself and then Jesus helps us a little bit in the sermon on the mount when he says do unto others as you would have them do unto you so that even helps us a little bit to to, uh, measure okay I know what I would I know how I would prefer to be treated. Therefore, treat them just like that. So he even, he even kind of um, simplifies the second commandment. Love your neighbors yourself. Then he helps us see, okay, what does that mean? It means I know how I'd like to be treated. Then that's, that's your rule for treating others. Now this business then of loving myself properly um, is a big part of Christian ethics because um, if we think about it, in this, all this time we've spent talking about Christian ethical behavior, it all takes place in the full sight of God, every single thing we do. It's in the presence of God, but it's also totally in the presence and involved with other people. So, Christian ethics um, can't stand by itself. It, I mean, it's, it's linked to people, God, us, all that. And one of the core definitions is some connection between how I love myself and how I therefore love, at that kind of level, others. Now, Um, Here's the problem we have. Things were fine, of course, before the fall, but the very definition of love your neighbor as yourself loses loses its meaning as long as I love myself excessively. Okay? So we have a heart, a nature, that loves self and has placed self in place of God, really. So we love ourselves supremely. How in the world, then, can I accurately and properly love another person? Well, the truth is, I can't. I can't until I'm redeemed and Jesus changes my heart. Um, It's impossible. So once the Lord helps me see what proper love of self is, only then can I, do I know how to love other people. Does that make sense? Because I'm, I'm looking through um, badly colored glasses. Um, everybody, you know, and we throw out these terms, and I think, you know, we don't have any choice in some cases, but um, proper self-love, of course, is not um, loving ourselves for our own sake. Loving ourselves for our own sakes is, we would call it, narcissism. Now, you know you don't have to raise your hand and say well you know it's your mother-in-law or you know somebody but most of us have somebody that we know maybe in our lives or whatever that we would say they're narcissists everything is about them their feelings even if it's somebody else's business um and i could get off on stories here that that i won't um too much but um One of the reasons why, and I'm exaggerating here, so, one of the reasons why, basically, I would rather have waterboarding or a root canal without Novocaine rather than do a wedding, unless it's somebody here that I know well, is because there's always at least one narcissist that's at the wedding, and they're at the rehearsal and they're at the cake baking, and they're at the decorations. I've had, I've had rehearsals with, with a, a bride just bawling, and just whispering to me about her mother. Just, just do whatever she says. Except I didn't. And this woman was at me, <laughs> During the rehearsal, that I was doing everything wrong, didn't know what I was doing. Was telling me I had uh, stuff reversed. More, you know, the bride wasn't supposed to be given away. That that's not where that goes. That's not when that happens. Um, finally, I just I had to say, look, I've been doing this well over 40 years. This is memorized. I know what I'm doing. Just let us alone. Um, and th- that woman was a pure, boiled, concentrated, freeze-dried, self-centered narcissist. It didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter that she was ruining it for her daughter. It's she knew right, she's going to tell everybody. We all know at least somebody <laughs> that is somewhere near that, okay? Um, those kind of people are completely, completely blind and incapable of loving somebody else like their, themselves because there's no room for them to love anybody but themselves. themselves that makes sense? So they, they, they don't even have any point of reference to know how to behave. And it's something I've discovered dealing with people like that is I think they're almost, they're so blinded I'm not excusing them. But sometimes when they're confronted, they look at you with just a blank stare. I don't even know what you're talking about. No, I'm not acting like that. They, they just don't get it. That's the worst case um, scenarios. But, so we're not to love ourselves like a narcissist. On the other hand, we're not to be what I would call self-loathing. <clears throat> Um, now, you know, he, here's a problem. Because we're fallen, every one of us, well, there, there might be, you know, a couple of us, maybe, maybe myself, that's not lopsided. Uh, listen, I'm lopsided. And unfortunately, maybe you're not as badly lopsided, but we're all half a bubble off. We, we, we're not well-rounded in our temperament, um, and our environment can affect that. Lots of things can affect that. Um, and it can go through life. We can be wonderfully used of God and get right with the Lord and love Him and be used of God. But we're going to have flaws and quirks and um, peculiarities to our personalities and to use old psychological terms um, complexes (laughs) Um, and those mark us and they remain often Um, there's a dear 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 soul um, that I pastored for a lot of years and um, sharp as can be. Everything she does, work, world, so forth, gets promoted. Very bright. But she was raised by the most, as she described it, raised by the most perfectionistic mother possible, who would throw the towels out of the linen closet if they weren't, If she, when she, as a kid, had folded them after the laundry and stacked them on the shelf. Do it over. Um, I mean, it was worse than boot camp for a kid. Okay. Well, she grew up, you know, left that warden, got married, wonderful husband. But that has just plagued her and plagued her, and she. And so, what does she do? She thinks she never does a job right. She thinks. Even if people compliment her, they're only doing it because they're trying to make her feel better, but they're not telling the truth because they don't really think she did a good job. You understand what I mean? And then, the devil helps, you transfer that to God. God's never quite happy with me. Even if he thinks I've done a pretty good job, he's got one gripe that he's going to make sure he gets through. And you never have that sense of well that's what Hebrew says they had this witness within them that they pleased God that is so valuable but that kind of personality flaw and injury wound can rob people of and it can really impact their faith they have a hard time believing that God loves them They just always feel they deserve to get wrapped on the side of the head, and that's how God's going to do it. Um, So in the middle of all this, it's difficult for us sometimes to know how to love the unlovely, love the enemies that will crop up in our lives, if we are kind of fouled up on how to love ourselves. Does that make any sense? Um, So Jesus clearly places that in chronological order before loving my neighbor. I have to have some sense of properly loving myself. Now, a couple... Let me kind of skip here. well, let me just give you some things even if they're a little bit repetitive um, here. <clears throat> um, we, we're to love ourselves for God's sake. He, he made us and He loves us. Um, I have an ethical duty then to love and care for myself because God loves me, but second of all since God created me, I don't own myself. In a sense, if we look outside of ourselves, if we get outside of ourselves and look back at ourselves, I'm to love myself, care for myself, because I'm, I don't own me. God owns me creationally and redemptively. And so I owe it. <laughs> to God to care for my body, to do my best to care emotionally and of course in a real sense. Love of self in the form of self-preservation is an early reason that we ever walk with God, that we get right with God. A fear, a a healthy fear, but a healthy fear of facing God at Judgment Day is a huge incentive to repent, get right with God. That's self-preservation. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to lose God's favor. I don't want to hear, depart from me, I never knew you that's proper love of self i don't want to do that to myself i don't want to experience that Um, of course god built some things into us just constitutionally that we we fight or flight and fear of heights or you know danger whatever Um, all of those things are normal and right and ethical because he owns me even myself. I am a steward of myself because I don't own myself. Now, um, skip to some, skip a bit of this here. Um, Here's another reason, slightly different, but we should love ourselves because we bear God's image. Now remember this, we bear God's image even if we're lost. Even lost souls still retain enough of God's image that we have, we have a couple things. In the establishment of the death penalty for taking a human life when Noah got off the ark, Genesis 9, he said, if man sheds another man's blood, By men shall his blood be shed. And then he gave the reason why. He said, for man is made in the image and likeness of God. Now this is after the flood. So, yes, he got the horribly wicked, irredeemable he got rid of. But in that same paragraph, God said, man's heart is only evil all the time, from his infancy. So that's the condition of humanity, yet God still referred to them as having the stamp of God on them. They retain enough that He said, you don't take their life. James said, don't even, don't curse another man, another person, because it says, he bears the image of God. That's even fallen people, sinful people. People aren't right with God. We still have enough, the image of God, that that's the main reason God said, don't curse somebody. Now, the word curse there um, doesn't mean cussing. Um, in fact, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be flipping about God's, commandments uh, here. We have to make sure we interpret them right. I'm glad that it doesn't say, doesn't mean, profanity. I'm innocent on that. But it really just means to harshly speak uh, evil about somebody. You know, and I think, (laughs) what did I say about Joe Biden today? now um partly though i it, it, a little bit of a it's not a loophole but there's a difference between speaking evil of someone when we don't know the whole story or whatever else then when we say something that is true i mean so and so is so-and-so you cannot trust to tell the truth, let's say. Is that speaking evil of somebody? No, not if it's true. Um, the Bible's filled with statement, Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you look at John the Baptist. They label people snakes, fools, children of hell, sons of the devil, um, you know, brood of vipers. Well, Jesus spoke evil of the Pharisees. No, he didn't. It was true. It was a total truth. There's some element then um, where we just can't God doesn't expect you to go around and say, you know what, I'm not going to say one bad thing about Hitler. Um, that's that's ridiculous. Because even the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made very clear that we are to judge. And you know that you might think, you know, your eyes roll back in your head at hearing that, because uh, Matthew seven, judge not lest you be not lest you be judged. No, but here's the thing: it's kind of like Sunday when I talked about the different words for love that you don't get in the English. When Jesus said, "Judge not that you be not judged," the word there is to vote twice. It's utter condemnation meaning finding them guilty and sentencing them to death okay it means complete cutting off no mercy four or five verses later in the same sermon on the mount he said look out for false prophets you can tell them by the fruit just like a fruit tree you can tell it's that's a fig tree that's an apple tree that's a cherry tree he said you'll be able to tell them by their fruits and he said a good tree can never bring forth bad fruit so about eight or so verses later he tells them to judge to make evaluations to make judgments not to be taken in by false prophets okay so we're not jesus is never requiring us to, um, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, so forth. He's talking about malicious, um, harsh, hard, unloving, um, cutting people in half, okay? Now, um, let's see, there's a couple more reasons um, We're to love ourselves because it's the basis and standard for loving others. Proper self love leads to proper love of others, which is a reflection on our love of God. And 1 John 4 says, we already quoted it, if you say you love God but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. So those can't be separated. Then finally, We should love God because God loves us. And He loves others for redemption's sake. Therefore, we must love others, even the unlovely, in the same way, for the same reason. When I was probably, I can't remember how old old I was. I was probably, I don't know. I was in high school. and. living in Eugene, Oregon, and the town was liberal, the paper was just really liberal and, um, you know, they were burning the ROTC building down and burning draft cards and Eugene McCarthy came to town and, you know, all the students turned out. It was just, it was just a mess, chaos. It was, you know, just a mess. And then Bobby Kennedy came to town and got you know everybody stirred up and they were all you know LBJ how many kids you killed today and it was just that kind of a atmosphere. Well my dad was very conservative. You know most people I knew uh, were even kids I went to school with their parents were conservative Um, and there so there was lots and lots of um, bad-mouthing of Bobby Kennedy or you know who else it was a mess and I think that's the year Goldwater ran it was those were crazy days anyway um and you know my dad was oh, I tell you that Bobby Kennedy those Catholics you know and, and then Bobby Kennedy got shot and I saw it on the news and I think my parents weren't home something and my dad, who I had heard never say anything, you know, he didn't say anything cruel, uncut, cutting sinful, but about, you know, these miserable, you know, liberals. And he came in, and I, I told him, said, hey, I just saw on the news, you know, Bobby Kennedy got shot. And I said something. I wasn't a Christian at all. I mean, I knew right from wrong, but I, you know, I said something about, you know, I can't even remember what I said, but it was not nice. I still remember a look on his face. And he almost, began, he got teary-eyed. He said, he said, listen, in spite of all that, said, he's a soul. He's a never-dying soul. And he said, I fear where he went. I don't know, but he said, I fear. Well, that's the way God would think you know what I mean Um, doesn't mean you agree with them doesn't mean you think they're a great person but their soul Um, that we always have to have or we're not really reflecting God's love now does God ever say anything bad about anybody yeah (laughs) yeah he does (laughs) okay Um, again the seven woes of Jesus in the temple. Um, You know, woe unto you Pharisees, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe unto you lawyers. Woe unto you brood of vipers. Um, That would have been quite an interesting sermon. Um, Quite negative. Um, But those very same people, weeks later, Jesus hung on a cross and then said, Father, forgive them. Now, that doesn't mean when he said they don't know what they're doing, he didn't say they're completely innocent. He didn't mean that. They have no idea the depths of what they're doing. For that sake, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Stephen, being stoned to death, prayed almost the same prayer, though it's, it's a little bit easier to understand. He said, Lord Jesus, lay not this sin. Okay, think of that. Did he use a euphemism? Lay not this um, misstep. No. He said, this is a sin. This is wicked. This is wrong. Lay not this sin against their charge. Now, the original language is... Don't make this mark on their record indelible. That helps That un- understand that prayer. Lord, this is a sin, but don't let it be an unforgivable one. Have mercy and room for them to repent, even of what they're doing to me right now. That helps us. Um, it wasn't a cart Blanche, well, we'll just blot it out no matter what they did. No, he didn't pray that. He prayed right. We know he prayed right. He's looking into Jesus' face. Don't make this an indelible mark. Keep them redeemable, salvageable, savable. That's how then I think by extension we have to deal with enemies. Um. And we, I think, we don't have that much time left. I don't want to open up a can of worms we can't get the worms back into. Um, I think in some ways um, <clears throat> there is a balance here and maybe a middle ground between the carte blanche. Um, I just forgive him for shooting my three kids wait a minute, um, they never ask forgiveness, um, they don't seem to have any remorse at all. Um, am I willing that they remain like Stephen prayed, not guilty of don't, you know an in, indelible mark on the record? Yeah, I am. I would pray that they would repent, that they would get right with God, their souls but to just extend a kind of forgiveness when there is no remorse, no repentance, no no request for forgiveness um, is a distortion of the kind of forgiveness or attitude towards enemies that the scripture, I believe, teaches us. We're to love our enemies. What does that mean? I want them to get right with God. From the purity of our hearts, we can say, I don't want any bad thing to happen to them. I don't want them, I don't want them to hit a telephone pole at 85 miles an hour. Um, I don't wish evil on them. Um, God can do that and help us in our heart. Look at the things he, he's forgiven. Look at Paul. Paul always said, even in his late letters, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. Um, and when Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus, well, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then obviously forgave him and turned him into an apostle and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Um, that's God's choice. That's always God's choice. Um, now, what kind of a, a, a can of worms did I open with that statement about forgiveness? <laughs> Does that make any sense? That the, the, I think... I hope I'm not off there. Um, you know, Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, well, if my friend sins, you know, sins against me seven times in a day, or sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven. Um, well, Jesus said, uh, you know, 70 times seven. But the key, I think, was he repents. <laughs> he comes to me and repents. How often should I forgive me? Well, if he repented, that's that that changes the whole equation. Now, any thoughts on whether I'm just nuts? You're shackled to yeah, and well, and, and allowing our hearts to get bitter destroys you, and it ends. In, you can't be. Um, the, I think that I think that there, there's no question that you cannot, period, um, allow ourselves to get embittered, um, you know. And and that's always progressive. It's degenerative. No one stays plateaued in bitterness. It gets worse and worse and worse. And more and more fills their horizon. And it eats them alive. And they're under total dominion of that while the other person's walking around um, doing, you know, they do not even thinking about it. Um, I think there is a giving, I guess a way I've tried to think through it or to describe it is I give up my so-called right to see them punished. I give that to God and leave it there. So I don't need revenge. I don't look for vengeance. Because God said, vengeance is mine, I'll take care of it. You leave it alone. Um, I think that's the only way to avoid something eaten at you, you know, just like a cancer and destroying you. Um, anything else? One, one last little story here. When I was in, all the time I was going to seminary and then pastoring in Oregon City, Oregon, um, we would go to and went by frequently, Wamplers. W-A-M-P-L-E-R. Wamplers Cleaners. Pretty good business. You know, and they um, they were just a good business in the town. Yeah, I didn't know anything about them. Um, and you read in the paper, you know, get up one morning and read in the paper that Wampler in Oregon City had driven 50 miles down to Salem, Oregon, where the, which was the capital. hid hidden some big bushes near a main entrance to one of the, you know, big office buildings in the capital there. And stepped out from behind the bushes and shot the state chief of police point blank, killed him. And, you know, they have the picture of Wampler, and I, you know, I recognize him, of course. Meek, kind of seemingly a meek, mild kind of a guy that, you know, cleaned and pressed your shirts and your suits. Never caused problems, you know, whatever. Well, the story then comes out that it was something like 20-some years earlier that state chief of police who was then, you know, I don't know, a lieutenant or something in, I think maybe Oregon City, which Oregon City wasn't a very big place. So it was probably a fairly small police force. But this, he'd passed this guy Wampler over for some promotion. I, you know, don't know what exactly it was, but he kind of stalled him moving up the line. Well, he ends up then resigning, quit, worked a few years, then quit, um, and went into the cleaner's business. And it was a very successful business. So whatever he might have lost in salary or pension even, it it was a big business. So there, there was no reason in the world for him to, you know, nurse this grudge. But he nursed that for over 20 years. And you think about that and it finally brings him to the place where he decides I'm, I'm, go- I'm gonna get in my car and I've got a loaded pistol and I know where I'm gonna hide and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this guy. I Talk about being enslaved. He spent 20 years now he ended up getting life. But the truth of the matter is, he'd lived in jail for 20 years in his spirit before he ever really got behind actual bars. Just ate him alive. That's, that's obviously what um, we, Christians can't do. You just have to give it to God and leave it alone and go on. Now, final thoughts, brilliant statements. Um, from anybody, can't say anything till next August or end of August, I guess. So speak now forever, hold your peace. Okay, we're a little early, but that's fine. Um, I think the kids are out here, aren't they? Yeah, I thought I could hear. I hope they're not, they got one of those bouncy houses out here and I hope they don't get picked up and blown to right, you know. Okay, Father in heaven, in the end you've told us in a very simple way that love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, Love is the fulfillment of the law. And also, Lord Jesus, you said to do to others what we want done to ourselves is all of the law and the prophets. That's the summary, is love one another as we love ourselves and as we love you and as you've loved us. Help us focus on those simple but eternal truths. Thank you for being with us. We pray you'd bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed.